It's so good to be here, and uh, I know that we have been praying and asking the Lord for his blessings and so forth. Um, I think this refresh is the most prayed into refresh we've had so far. The amount of prayer that has gone in, if nothing at all, we've broken through in prayer. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's wonderful. Um, I realize it's a bit late, and I know we've been traveling and so forth, so normally I would preach for two hours, but today I'm going to take exception and just preach for one and a half hours, and then uh, <laughs> hopefully the anointing will keep you awake. <laughs> but even if you sleep, your spirit will take in the word. <laughs> You think I'm joking? <laughs> it's so good to see Tim and Kim. Uh, thank you so much for coming. Come on, it's so great to have you with us. God bless you, Kim. It's especially great to see you today. Wonderful, wonderful. Maybe we'll hear from Kim later on, um, as well as Tim. Also, our dear brother, Reverend Evangelist, Pastor Apostle, <laughs> Samuel Solomon. Come on, Sam. Let's welcome him. Come on. Let's make him feel at home. Hallelujah. The national overseer for our churches in India. It's great to have you with us. Um, God bless you. I'm not sure if there is anybody else that um, the rest of you, you're all from the United Kingdom. We're in Europe as well, so there's no Brexit. All right. Let's begin. Let's begin the word. All right. So I want to share with you today, and I've entitled today's message, In the Day of His Power. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 110, and I'm going to read um, from verses 1 to 7, the whole psalm, really. And uh, I'm going to try and lay a foundation and see how far we go. And throughout my sessions, I want to be coming to this psalm and just building on what we share. And uh, I also feel that tonight we are to just really rededicate ourselves, regardless of your age, if you can understand what I'm saying. I really want you to pay attention because I do believe that God wants to speak to you. Young people, God wants to speak to you. Old people, God wants to speak to you. People, God wants to speak to you. <laughs> All right, Psalm 110 from verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. Amen. Amen. So, we're talking about the day of his power. So, what am I referring to when I talk about the day of God's power? What is the day of God's power? Well, I see it and how I believe it is in reference to what we've read as the manifestation or the expression of God's kingdom in supernatural power. When God comes down in such a way that we can see his supernatural power clearly being exhibited 
to all. And everybody can see without a doubt that this is God. It is a season or a period of time when God is freely exhibiting his strength through his church. It can be seasonal. In other words, like uh, we have uh, summer, winter, autumn seasons. It can be seasonal. It can be a specific event, even like here, where God will decide to visit his people in tremendous ways. It can be in response to prayer. And it also can be because of God's providence. In other words, God just decides he's going to do this. Now, in one sense, because we are in the New Testament era, you could say that technically speaking, we are also in the day of his power. But the reality for many of us is, experientially speaking, most of us have not really seen real, genuine, consistent manifestations of God's power. The generation, certainly, of the 80s and the 90s, of those who were born 80s and 90s, or even those who got saved in the 90s and the late and the, the early part of this century and this decade, most of them have not really seen God's supernatural power in real ways. They've seen a little bit, maybe a prophet will come or an evangelist will come, but most of our generations that are in our midst have not really seen God's supernatural power in a real dynamic way. And my prayer is that you at this conference will have a hunger for the real thing. You will have a hunger to know God in such a way that you are confident to walk in his power. And uh, I want to just read two portions of scripture that kind of show us what it's like when God begins to come down. Some of these verses, we've been praying a lot into it as a church. Isaiah 64, verses 1 to 4. He says, oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence as fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries. In other words, God, come down in such a way that when you come down, like days of old, it will be like a volcano. It will be like a volcano. When God came down to the Israelites, it was literally like a volcano. It wasn't a natural phenomenon. God had come down and his presence caused the mountains to shake. Can you imagine? I mean, that's just incredible. And he says, as fire burns brushwood, if you see fire and um, hay, so to speak, how fire is with hay, when God's power comes down, that's how devastating the, the prophet is saying it, it turns out to be. He says, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down, the mountain shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. Now that last phrase of that verse speaks to me. And for me, that is something I'm holding on to. That God acts on behalf of the person who waits for him. I am believing that in my days, I will walk in the power of God in such a way that it cannot be disputed. Many years ago, I remember I had this dream and I've never ever experienced it so far. And in this dream, 
even now as I'm sharing, I can, I can remember what it was like. It was literally like currents of power going through me as I was laying hands on people, all kinds of crippled things, and just laying, boom, and they will heal, boom, and they will heal. I'm really believing for that. So that is what, Lord, I'm holding on, holding on to. That, you know, that when I would, it, it was like any sickness. People were in wheelchairs, and as I would do that, the power was so powerful. It's like, and it went on and went, and I was just, it was just happening. And then even when the power surge left, I could place hands on people and they'll be healed. Place hands on people. So me, that's what I'm aiming for. But I wonder what you are aiming for. I wonder what you want to see God do for you. Never mind even the whole church, just for you as an individual. I am praying that God will stir in your heart such a hunger, such a desire for him that you will not be satisfied with anything else until you see the power of God flowing through your life consistently, consistently, with an open heaven over your life consistently. So that's what it looks like in this context, Isaiah says. And then in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 to 16, this is a New Testament context. This is it being earthed out. He says, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, this is a New Testament context. This is the church in its early stages, and you see that the heavens are open. You see that God has come down, and several things are happening. One, the leadership is seriously anointed. The leaders are seriously anointed. If you're in leadership, say amen. Amen. It's easy to be in the position of leadership. But I tell you, we are believing God that he will touch us as a leadership in such a way that our leaders will be seriously anointed. It says, through the hands of the apostles, the leaders, many signs and wonders were done among the people. Not a few. Not one person got healed of a headache and another person's leg was straightened. Many signs and wonders. And I pray that as a leader, you have this desire that through your hands, look at what the scripture says, through the hands of the apostles. You see, it's easy to say, oh, God is doing it. But he said, through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Another thing when God comes down is there is oneness among his people. There is a unity amongst his people. He says, and he says, uh, another thing is that none of the rest dare join them, but the people esteemed them highly. Great favor was amongst the people. Another thing he says, multitudes of both men and women were added to the Lord. You've seen hundreds upon hundreds getting saved because God is coming down. Another thing that happens is that you see that they have great favor with non-Christians. Non-Christians are seeing something that is happening with them. And I'm saying, wow, this is amazing. These people, have to, you have to rate these people. Let me tell you something. The reason why gay rights and all these kind of things are an issue is because the church is not walking in tremendous power. People, let me tell you something. You can say any rubbish if you've got the power and you get away with it. Can you imagine Elijah says to the king, you are the guy troubling Israel. 
And he says to the king, as the Lord God lives before whom I stand, there's not going to be any rain until I say so. And for three and a half years, there's no rain because Elijah didn't say so. Let me tell you what's going to happen when God's power comes down. And people like you and me are being challenged. We can say straight up, you know what? Because you're giving us a hard time about this thing. Uh, let me tell you, there's going to be no rain. Rain is easy. In fact, you know what? No, let's just do something now. Brexit ain't going to happen anymore. Or Brexit's going to happen. I don't know. Which one do you want? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but you can make such pronouncements. Or, okay, you don't, be, you don't believe this Christian thing? Bring all the sick people, all the autistic people. Bring them. Start with the people in your church. Bring all of them. And heal all of them. Amen. Can you imagine? You can't argue with that. Look at the way you're looking at me. You can't argue with that. It might seem like fantasy, but I tell you, I am believing God that in my day, whilst walking in this tent, not in the age to come, in this tent, I will see that level of manifestation. That's what I'm praying for. It's, you know, at times, I get so kind of vexed when I see some kind of things happening in church meetings where people are being prayed for and they're being pushed over, a lot of elbow grease to show that, you know, there's power. I mean, what rubbish? You know, you're, you're healed. Well, okay, you're healed. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Say one. One. I mean, and, and, then, and then what gets me is then the church is clapping. Yeah, that ain't no proper miracle where you cannot dispute it. When a shriveled head is restored. One guy, a, a friend of mine, one of his pastors, went to minister somewhere. This is a true story. At least they told me, so I'm believing it's true. <laughs> These days. But anyway, no, but no, no. So the guy was ministering in, in, in a Muslim country. I think it was in Pakistan. And uh, there was this hunchback guy that came to me. And this hunchback person, he said the guy was like this. And as he prayed for him and walked off, the people screamed because the guy just completely healed. And he broke a revival. I was thinking of bringing this guy to the church and uh, letting some of that anointing flow. But Tim is here, so that's good enough. Hallelujah. (laughs) But the point I'm making is, the point I'm making is this. When the power of God is being exhibited, arguments cease. These people had favor with outsiders. Even though those outsiders didn't become a part of their number. Why? Because of the power of God. Another thing that happened was this. It says, mighty signs and wonders were drawing people from across the region. It says this. It says, and also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. And they were all healed. They were all healed. Not some were healed. They were all healed. I mean, can you imagine what will happen if in one meeting, one meeting, just one meeting, God comes down. We experience a divine visitation. In one meeting, and every single person is really healed. Yeah. Not psychosomatically healed, yeah. but really healed. Amen. Can you imagine what will happen the next meeting? You see, we need God to come down. We need God to come down. And we must not settle for anything else. CLF, we must not settle for anything else. We must keep praying. We must keep fasting. We must keep believing. We must keep seeking until God comes down. The Holy Spirit has promised me a revival. He has promised me a move of the Spirit. I remember Ken McGreevy many years ago before he died. He said to me, 
The Lord is going to take your ministry, your church into, you're going to experience a move of the Holy Spirit. And when it happens, you need to ask him for wisdom in how it's managed. You're going to experience a move. And I believe that we're going to experience a move. But I want to encourage us to begin to desire a real move of the spirit. Let's keep on praying. Let's keep on fasting. Let's keep on believing God. Let's keep on calling it forth. Let's just keep pressing in those early morning prayer meetings. Let's keep doing it. Let's keep doing it. Let's keep doing it. Those times of fasting, I mean, Lambeth are doing crazy fast. I mean, they do 21, then they do 10, then they do 15, then they do 21, then they do 10. Let's just keep doing that. Amen. I think Woodford is trying to catch up. Yeah. Brandon, we were just watching you guys, and uh, I didn't want to know if you... Hallelujah. But let's keep pressing. Let's keep pressing. Let's keep pressing. Because I tell you, as we do that, God will come down. Amen. We'll begin to see the day of his power. Now, let's look at some of the lessons from this psalm that we read, Psalm 110. I want to highlight several, and then we're going to pray and uh, do what I feel the Holy Spirit wants us to do. The first thing is this, in verse 1. The day of his power, and these are in your notes there. The day of his power has been determined within the Godhead. He said in verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. One of the things you have to understand is this, is that there are no accidents in God. There are no mistakes in God. All the purposes concerning you and I have been predetermined by God. He has determined it within himself. And as time goes by, his purposes begin to unveil. What we have a responsibility to do is, to discover what has been written in his book concerning us. Let me tell you something. God has determined your days. And he has determined in your days the kind of life he wants you to live. In Psalm 139 verse 16, David said, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they, were, they all were written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. The days fashioned for me were all written in your book. And you and I, if we are talking about in the day of his power, we need to discover what God has written concerning us when it comes to his visitation upon our lives. Now, when I talk about what he's written in his book, and this book that David refers to, I believe that there are two types of books. There is the book of life where our names are in, but there is also the book that is written that our lives are also in that book. And I'm talking about the word of God, the scriptures, the Bible. You see, let me show you this. Paul and Barnabas, and you see this even amongst the saints, they would say something, about what they're doing, and then they will quote the scripture. So you find, for instance, Paul and Barnabas were able to locate themselves in the scripture. In Isaiah, in Isaiah 49, verses 6 and 7, in Acts chapter 30, 47, they quote this thing. After the Gentiles, after the Jews rejected what they were saying, they quote this verse and they said this, For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. They quote this verse, but this is a verse that refers to Israel and refers to Messiah. But they quote this verse 
that this is what God has told them. Now, why could they do that? Because as they read the scriptures, they could see that this applies to the church. And because it applies to the church, it applies to them. But the other thing is, which I found very interesting is this. They could also locate those Jews who rejected them in the word. They could locate them. You will find that in verse 40 of the same chapter, Acts 13, 40 and 41, they say to the Jews, beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which will by no means, which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. So the point I'm making this is this. Whether good or bad, you can locate yourself in scripture. You can locate yourself in the book. And what I'm saying to you is this. As a child of God, learn to find what the Bible says about you. And the way you will recognize that God is speaking to you is when you read the scriptures. And as you read something, it bears witness to your spirit about what you are supposed to do. It bears witness to you about your assignment. That's where you can locate yourself in the book. So the point I'm making is this. God has determined your days when it comes to the day of his power. He has determined that you in these days are to be alive and you will have several opportunities upon which to manifest his glory. Can you say amen? So first, the day of this power has been determined by him, by, within the Godhead. Secondly, God's power is mightily exhibited through his church every time he comes down in power. Every time God decides to manifest his power, he will do it through his church. Now, the reason why this is important is this. God does not work when it comes to his redemptive purposes outside of the church. He does not work outside of the church because we, the church, are the custodians of his kingdom. And it is through us that the kingdom advances on the earth. So there are things we can stop and there are things we can release if we decide to do so. Let me tell you something. There are things in your family that are there because you've allowed it. There are things that are happening to your children because you have allowed it. When I see things that the enemy plans for my family, I sometimes don't even tell Aisha. I don't tell anybody. I deal with it. I deal with it. When I see attacks on my wife, on my children, on even the church, I deal with it. Why? Because I am a custodian of the kingdom. And God's power wants to work mightily through you. Look at verse 2. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. What does that mean? Another version puts it like this. The Lord extends your dominion through or from Zion. In other words, the way God advances his kingdom, the way God causes his power to be made known is through Zion. Zion speaks of the church in its elevated status. It's a kingdom reference. It speaks of the fact that the body of Christ, the church, is not some lowly body of people. It is an exalted body of people. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, 22 says, You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Beloved, we as God's people are not just gathering for gathering's sake. We are part of Zion. We are part of the great Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. 
the, the true people of God that matters when it comes to God's purposes. He says, the Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. What does that mean? What's that rod? That's a very interesting word, that word rod. That word rod also can be applied to a tribe. In other words, what he's saying is this. God is talking to Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand. God says to Jesus, I'm going to send out of Zion a tribe of people that will demonstrate your power. See, it's not just a stick. A rod speaks. If you look at it in the Hebrew, it speaks of a stick, of course, but it speaks of a people group, a tribe. So when God is talking about the day of his power, it's about releasing a certain kind of people. A certain kind of people. Beloved, listen, you can decide to be a churchgoer or you can decide to be a kingdom operator. You can decide to be somebody who exists in church. You know, some of you young people, sometimes I look at you during worship and I feel so sad. What you were doing when you were 10, you're doing when you were 18. What you were doing when you were 5, you're doing when you were 11. Listen, there must come a time when you say, I am serving God regardless of my friends. Regardless of my parents, when it's time to sing, I will lift up my hands and worship the living God. When it's time to pray, I will pray with all my heart. I will not look at my left and I will not look at my right. If my friends want to be on fire, let them be on fire. If they don't want to be on fire, let them be cold. I'll be on fire for Jesus. Young people, can you say amen? I didn't hear you. Can you say amen? Yeah. Some old people were also saying amen, you know. Hmm. When he says, rule thou in the midst of your enemies. How does Jesus rule through, in the midst of his enemies? Through you and I. Through his church. He sits on the throne, ruling through you and I. Third point. Verse 3. Your people shall be volunteers, or your people shall be willing in the day of your power. God's people give themselves wholeheartedly and unreservedly when his power is being released through their life. One of the things that I see with many of us, the reason why, even like, even like something like Refresh, why at times it's a struggle for people, is because we are living from a soulish realm. When it comes to serving God, at times we, we do things from a place of convenience, rather from a place of revelation. Beloved, if you only do things for God based on how convenient it is for you, there is very little effectiveness you will have in this kingdom. Many times when God tells you to do something, it will cost you. It will hurt you. And that's why you need the power of God upon your life. That's why you need the supernatural power of God upon your life. That's why it is so important that we understand the need to walk and live in the day of his power. He says, your people shall be willing, King James Version, of volunteers in the day of your power. One version says it like this, your people will offer themselves willingly to participate in your battle in the day of your power. Every child of God has battles. There are personal battles and there are battles beyond your natural um, context. And then there are battles that really seek to advance the kingdom. Sometimes the battles you are facing personally 
are there because of a greater battle to come that you are going to fight for many of God's people. And some battles are so intense that if you don't fight them correctly, you will die. And we will all say, you were a good man, and now you've gone to be with the Lord, but you weren't supposed to die. Are you listening to me? He says, your people shall be willing in the day of your power. In other words, there is a supernatural release of zeal. For, of zeal for God and for his service and for his house. If there is one thing I want to encourage you to add to your prayer list, is zeal for God. Zeal for God. Zeal for his house. That you don't care what people think. You don't care how people are acting. You are so on fire for Jesus, you are willing to look a fool for him. I'm telling you, even sometimes... Your family, you are happy for your family to laugh at you because you're, in fact, you found kind of an honor that they ridicule you for your stance for Christ. God's people give themselves wholeheartedly in the day of his power. Wholeheartedly. They give themselves unreservedly in the day of his power. Fourth point. There is a strong commitment to holiness in the day of his power. Second part of verse 3. In the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. Now, Amplify says it like this. In the splendor of holiness, from the, the, the womb of the dawn, your young men are to you as the dew. Now, what is he saying here? Your people shall be willing in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness. What he's saying is this. When God's power comes down, what begins to happen is we become zealous to live a holy life. In fact, we, we see it as a magnificent privilege. He says, in the beauties of holiness. That word beauties is in the magnificence of holiness. In the excellence of holiness. In the glory of holiness. Holiness is where you say you are devoting yourself to God. It's where you're doing things in order to please God. It's where you are seeking to give yourself to God. That's what holiness is. Holiness is you deciding to live and do your life for God, because of God, to please God. And that's what we are called to. That is the kind of thing, regardless of your context, if you are seeking to please God, if you're seeking to do it for God, if you're seeking to be it because of God, that's the kind of thing that causes you to begin to see God. That's the kind of thing that causes you to begin to experience God. He said, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. In other words, without a life of consecration and devotion to God, you cannot perceive him, you cannot understand him, you cannot appreciate him, you cannot know him the way you need to know him. He says, in the beauties of holiness... He said, from the womb of the morning. What does that mean? In other words, from the womb of the morning simply says, in other words, from, from sunrise to sunset. God, you are number one. These kind of people, what they're doing is this. They're consecrating their life to God. They're willing to go into battle for God as their number one priority. The day of his power means you are willing to go all out for God. And that is your number one passion. That's your number one priority. I hope this is not getting over your heads. 
Well, if it is, listen to the thing again. Prayerfully. Amen. Amen. The devil's power produces young men and women passionate about God. Passionate about holiness. They don't care what people think. They don't care what people think about them and how they're living for God. They don't care. They are passionate about how they consecrate themselves to God. I see a holy generation rising up. You know, when describing the future glory of the church, the Bible says one of its characteristics is a highway of holiness. A highway of holiness. Isaiah 35, 8 to 9. Help me with the time, Max. He says, a highway shall be there, a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. You see, when you are living for God in holiness, even if you are empty-headed, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. When you're living for God in holiness, you can't go wrong. You won't go astray. You won't be deceived by the smartness of others. He says, no lion shall be there. In other words, a devourer of others. Nor shall ravenous beasts go up on it. In other words, those people who live their lives regardless of conscience and regardless of what God has to say. It shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there. You know, the other day I was talking to um, the ministers and I said something. I said, some of our churches, I'm not simply saying CL, I'm just saying the body of Christ in general. Sometimes I wonder how God views our churches. Now, God loves his people. Don't get me wrong. God loves his people. But, you know, we are either saints of God or we take on certain characteristics. Some of the characteristics, when you read early in this verse, it talks about places where jackals live, where wild beasts roam. Sometimes we have to be careful what characteristic we are releasing. Are we releasing the characteristic of a snake or a saint? What kind of church are we? Are we biting and devouring each other or building and encouraging one another? The other day I heard something that shocked me. It shocked me. I heard something that shocked me. And I, I'm, I'm, all I'll say is it shocked me because I heard that certain people at times will, can look at another Christian and just cut their eye at them. In our church. And it shocked me. I was so shocked when the person was saying it. I looked at them blank. But I was shocked. Hallelujah. I was shocked. You say, how are you shocked? I was shocked. Sometimes it's easier to believe that people fornicate than that. I was shocked. Hallelujah. Let me just move on. I'm just saying, what kind of person are you? Are you given to holiness? Because when it comes to the power of God, you have to hope, be holy. Sometimes you see people who manifest some kind of power, but they are unclean. Me, I don't like that kind of power, you know. They are unclean. They are not living a holy life. They can, they can get drunk. They can watch pornography. They can even swear and then come and preach a storm, lay hands on people and minister to them. Listen, me, I don't want that, you know. I'm telling you. 
Those kind of things terrify me. Because if you've done all of that and you're not holy, you're not living a holy life, our Lord says, depart from me, I never knew you. Beloved, I want to encourage you to aim for holiness. Say to your neighbor, aim for holiness. It's not easy to live a holy life. It's not easy to live a holy life. That word, a highway of holiness, that word highway is a very interesting word. It's talking about a thoroughfare road. In other words, a road with two ends, but with pipes, turnpikes on it. In other words, it's road, a road, the highway with roadblocks. That's the highway of holiness. It's a road with roadblocks. In other words, at each juncture, you have to pay a price to move on. It's not just a straight road you just stroll up. It's no. In the Hebrew, it is a road with roadblocks. The highway of holiness is a road with roadblocks. In other words, every time you're moving for God, you're going to face a battle. And that battle is going to find out whether you are really serious about holiness. I used to hate preaching on holiness. I used to hate it because every time I preach on holiness, then the week after I get tested and tested and tested not to be holy. I didn't like it at all. Then I learned the secret. Live a holy life. That was the secret. Preach it, preach it, preach it, preach it, preach it. And then you finish and then you get all kinds of temptations. Because at times we're preaching the thing, but we haven't got the message. Live a holy life when nobody's watching. Live a holy life when it's just you and God and the iPad. Live a holy life. <laughs> Hallelujah. Just you, God, and your phone. And then when somebody comes in, you quickly press each other. Yeah, yeah. Live a whole life. Yeah. When you're walking the... You see, sometimes, you know, I'm walking the street, minding my own business, and I will see somebody coming. Very attractive-looking human being. It appears that way. (laughs) So, now I have made up my mind, I just keep looking straight. And so what has been happening at times, I actually blind people I know. I didn't even know I knew them until they said, Pastor Jesse, oh, it's you. Oh, hallelujah. Because I was so busy. <laughs> but then, but then it also occurred to me, what if I was looking at what I'm not supposed to be looking? Or I decided to go, or something. And they said, Mwah, Pastor Joe, Mwah, what is that? <laughs> Listen, people have greeted me many times. And, I, and I've, I said, hello. They said, hi. I said, hi. They said, oh, I really love your preaching. I said, oh, yeah, I'm glad. Praise the Lord. Mm. Because the way they said hi, for maybe they looked at my pecs and thought, yeah, this is a man. <laughs> but then they said it was my preaching. So obviously they've seen me somewhere. Yeah. Hmm. I tell you. God is looking for willing holiness. Willing holiness, not false holiness. I tell you, it's not easy. I'm not going to lie. It's not easy to live a holy life. So you have to start asking him, Lord, give me an appetite for holiness. Give me an appetite for holiness. Give me an appetite for holiness. Give me an appetite for holiness and purity. Holiness is not the same as purity. 
Holiness is consecration. Purity is the outworking. So what purity does is you begin to stop doing certain things. You don't just pray. You begin to stop doing certain things. Stop going certain places. Stop getting drunk and saying this is for the stomach. Drunk. <laughs> you begin to stop doing something. The other day, in fact, it was yesterday. The other day was yesterday. I came here in the spirit of holiness. I came, went to the lunch in the spirit of holiness. I ate the first meal in the spirit of holiness. And then I said, this meal is good. In Joseph, not the spirit of holiness, in Joseph. And I thought, let me just have a little bit more in Joseph. And then I sinned in the sin of gluttony because I overate. So I said, ah, you see how easy. See, I should have stuck to the holiness. When I ate that meal, I was full. I was okay. I wasn't, I wasn't, I was full. I was okay. I was okay. <laughs> At that point, I was normal. I could have even slept. I would have been okay. But I wanted an extra portion of uh, salmon. And I sinned. After I ate it, I said to her, mm, I have overeaten. That is also a sin. Don't look at me as if it's a strange thing. I would say, yeah, we've guessed. You've been doing a lot of that of late. <laughs> that is also a need for holiness. It's also there. Amen. Are you still here? All right. I, wanna, I want us to pray because of time. I want us to pray. I want us to stand to our feet. We'll continue tomorrow. If I can have the musicians, please. I realize that at the beginning of a conference like this, it is very easy to just go back into what we know. But I really want to challenge you when it comes to God's power and your life. As I, as I kept asking the Holy Spirit, I felt like he said to me, I should just encourage you to consecrate yourself afresh to God. Consecrate yourself afresh to God and say to the Lord, you want to walk in his power. You want to walk under an open heaven. I want every head bowed and every eye closed at this time. And we're just going to pray. We're going to pray into certain things in our lives. I want you to begin to bring your life before God, areas in your life, that the Holy Spirit is highlighting. Perhaps for you, it's as simple as you just need to press in more of God. Perhaps there is an area in your life that you need to give over to God. At this time of refresh, as we want to be refreshed in God, we have an opportunity to let go of certain things. What are the areas in your life you need to let go of? What are the things in your life you need to let go of? As you are standing there right now, lift up your hands and begin to give them voice and tell him, Lord, I want to let go of this. I want to let go of that. Just begin to reach out to him. Begin to reach out. I want all of you to begin to do that worship team. Begin to consecrate yourself.
He says, your people shall be willing in the day of your power and the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. He says, you have the dew of your youth. You have the dew of your youth. What does that speak of? In the day of his power, there is the dew of the youth. There is the freshness of the youth. There is the freshness of the youth. That means the word of God is soaking into these individuals and God's word is beginning to change them. God's word is beginning to transform them. God's word is beginning to cause them to come into a new freshness. Beloved, some of us have been so dry. We have been dry. We go through the motions of ministry. We go through the motions of church. But we are actually dry because we have been operating in autopilot. We're not hooked into the source. We're not hooked into him. There isn't that freshness that comes from him and his presence that comes from him and his word. In the day of his power, the people of God are fresh in his eyes because they are continuously consecrating themselves to him. In the day of his power, what happens is, as we give ourselves willingly to God to face whatever battle that is in our, in our path, whatever challenge that's in our way, he clothes us and we clothe ourselves with holiness as our number one priority. And it is out of this priority that such people begin to advance. As they make God their number one priority. As they make God their number one priority. Listen, you need to make him your number one priority. You need to rediscover that God, you are my number one priority. And if that's what you are saying, if that's what you are really saying, I want you to respond and come to the front. I don't want you to come to the front unless that's what you're really saying to him. Don't just come for coming sake. God, I am consecrating myself to you as my number one priority in holiness. I am letting go of certain things. The way I speak, the way I think, my appetite, my attitude, I'm letting it go. I don't care how it looks. I don't care what people think. I just care about you, God. I want your power. I want your glory in my life. And as you come, I feel that we just need to see God. So maybe just spread out. Some of you can make your way down this way. Just spread out. If you can't come to the front, come out the sides. And just begin to see God. And tell him. That's what I feel we should do. Just call upon God. Some of the things that we have been saying and doing. We need to let it go. Keep reaching now. Begin to reach out. You can go on your knees. You can pray. Sharon, sing that.